0: at LuckyLandslots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. BGW Group. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply.
2: Busy weekend uh, in American boxing, Dan, show uh, we'll come on to in a second. But, um, yeah, obviously the the news that's dominating boxing, especially British boxing at the moment, is this ongoing situation with Conor Ben. So, yeah, what have your reflections been on the situation over the last two or three weeks?
3: my reflections are that it's, it's, first of all, it's just a very unfortunate situation that it had to come to this, that uh, when, you know, starting from the fact that when the, when the result of the, of the test was revealed as positive, that there was a lot of um, efforts to let this fight go forward without, without being straight with the public and, and the British board having their issues and the promoters having their issues with the British board and the, Original decision not to not to take a look at the result of the VADA test only sort of being kind of forced to do so later because there was so much bad publicity towards what was going on. Uh, I mean that's that's one of the things that can be fixed right off the bat is that if you are going to hire VADA to do your testing, that if they present the result that is positive or whatever the result is, it should be uh, part of the the story. It can't just be a UConn result. And by the way, the same thing would go if he had failed. A UCOT test, for example, but there was evidence that he had all sorts of VADA tests that were negative. That should also be part of the the overall scenario. It's not just a one way street. So my my reflections are that it it, right from the get go it was a terrible situation. You and I both know there have been rumors for weeks about a second fail test that was divulged uh, by by Connor uh, not that long ago. That there was one in the in the summertime. Uh, I had heard about that. Couldn't nail it down. uh, You know so. Uh, that's another thing that's an issue that, that again, they didn't complain about that early on. It, it's just, a, it's a disaster. It's basically everything you could do the wrong way when presented with a positive drug test. I have covered, I couldn't even count the number of positive drug tests that I have covered and you know, they're, they're not good and they, they cause problems and there's uh, negativity, but pretty much every other one that's ever occurred in like the history of my time covering boxing has been handled in a better fashion. And what's going on with this Connor band situation? yeah, I think that's where most of the outrage comes from in terms of
2: boxing fans um we're still waiting on on Connor's sort of other statements and he's trying to prove himself <clears throat> um innocent, which we hope he can do um Connor, but I think what's the outrage is directed towards as you said it's the way it's been handled now, Eddie's argument and callowland's argument in this when we've asked them about it is that. They legally cannot cancel the bout. It's in the hands of, they said at that time, Chris Eubank Jr. to say, I don't want to proceed with the fight and the board, whether they want to prohibit the fight or not, which in the end they did. But the promoter's argument is that they had no jurisdiction over canceling that fight. What are your thoughts on that?
3: Well, if that's the case, and I'm not entirely sure that that's true, they sure as heck gave their opinions to the fighters and the board that they wanted to continue with the fight, it seems to me. So, yeah, maybe technically speaking, they couldn't be the ones to pull the plug, but they sure as heck didn't go to their best efforts to say, we don't want to do the fight. They could have made public statements saying, we want to cancel the fight, but they won't let us. I mean, of course, uh, look, Chris Eubank, the athlete, of course he wanted the fight. He's been training for months. He's been cutting weight. He has a huge payday riding on it. You know, he's the favorite to win the fight. There was a thousand reasons why you can understand why the young man would want to have the fight. But having the fight or not having the fight is not up to the boxer. That's not the way it works. That's why there are regulators. That's why there are managers. That's why there are promoters. Uh, the athletes are important. Obviously, they're the ones that get in the ring and put their lives on the line. But they don't get to make that decision. So the fact that Chris Eubank wanted the fight and that Conor Ben wanted the fight is no way should come as a surprise to anybody. Um, but as far as them not being able to cancel the bout, uh, you know, it felt like at least early on they were weighing their options to perhaps seek an injunction. Now, obviously they didn't go forward to do that. I'm glad that they didn't make that into even more of a mess. Uh, there were suggestions that they would seek an outside regulatory agency. Eddie has said many times that they were never going to do that. So I'm happy to hear that. That's a good thing. Um, but if they really couldn't cancel the fight and it was up to the board, it sure didn't feel like that they were uh, doing anything other than trying to let this fight happen.
2: Well, you talk about the, injunctions and potentially using like a Luxembourg board rather than the British board to proceed with the fight on the Wednesday of the fight week, which is the public workout, the news from the daily mail article broke whilst we was at the media worker. And and the, the line at that point from the promoters was possibly we might go down a route of taking an injunction or mm-hmm. looking at a different board. Do you believe their mind switched on Thursday? Uh, in that in that statement that joint statement Caller and Eddie gave because of the public backlash on that Wednesday afternoon and evening. That that
3: seems logical. I mean, listen, I, I don't blame anybody in this situation. I'm not this is not a matter of singling out uh Eddie Hearn or Callie Salvin, who by the way are good promoters and have been involved in boxing for most of their lives. I don't think they're bad guys at all. Uh but when you're faced with that situation, it's fair to take a little bit of time to assess what's happened so in some respect i think eddie and cali are getting a bad rap because it's it's perfectly normal to hear this news and to sort of look and see what are our options find you know ask some questions talk to the athlete talk to the team and just assess what's actually occurred uh and and it's it's not going to be you can't just say okay you get an email and it says there's a positive test. And, oh, we're canceling the fight. I mean, that's, that's crazy also. You need to ask a few questions. You need to, to understand that. So, yes, it's very logical that they, they, they thought about that in that first day, realized that there was definitely an issue here, and, and at that point uh, switched their thought process because there was a lot of backlash. And maybe realized like, hey, this is maybe not the best idea that we've ever had. They're under a lot of pressure, obviously. They're under pressure from the fighters. Uh, they're under pressure. They've already spent, obviously, a tremendous amount of money on the event. Uh, there's a, a, an, an arena filled, uh, theoretically, an arena going to be filled with ticket buyers and, and pay-per-view subscribers. They have broadcasters to answer to. They have sponsors to answer to. So I'm not sitting here saying that it's an easy situation because I understand the pressures that there are. Uh, and in the end, I mean, whether dragging, kicking and screaming or not, they did do the right thing. So that's good. Uh, I just have felt like since the beginning, it shouldn't have taken that long. So in other words, to sum up, I get that it took a little bit of time them to assess the entirety of what's happening on the flip side once they realized what was happening i felt like you know what it, it there was a little too much argument a little too much problem but finally uh, calling this fight off obviously the board had their say and listen the british board does not have clean hands either in, in terms of that situation i feel like they did just a terrible job and i'm saying that in comparison to for example dealing here in the united states when these things have happened with like say the nevada state athletic commission or the California State Athletic Commission, who handle things, I feel like, in a much more transparent and professional manner than what went down with the British board on this situation. Yeah. It, shouldn't have taken, it shouldn't have taken two weeks from the time the test came back till the time the fight was canceled a couple of days before the fight and what it felt like only because uh, the folks at the Daily Mail broke this story. Because you and I both know and have been around long enough to know if that result did not come to the public, this fight would have happened and everybody would have made their money. And there'd have been a backlash when it came out after the fact.
2: Yeah, I do find it very coincidental that the story. It's not coincidental.
3: On, yeah. That, the um, on,
2: on the On the Wednesday, that the, the, the story comes out. And then 10 minutes later, the board put out a
3: public statement. I mean. Obviously. I mean, I've never been one to be involved in conspiracy theories. But if anybody thinks that it was an accident that their statement came out as soon as that story went public. Then, then they just don't understand what goes on in the sport of boxing, and not just boxing, but in business in general. So,
2: I guess that leads me on to a point, right? Obviously, I don't want you to mention any names um, that you might know of, but from that, do you know or do you suspect any times a fighter has failed a VADA test, for example, in the UK? And obviously, the board don't recognise that; they only rec- recognise and can penalise um, on UCAD failures that a fight has failed a VADA test, it hasn't broke to the public, and the fight has got in the ring, and the fight's gone on.
3: That the fight, that, that well, I mean, there's, that, there's been times where the fighter has failed a VADA test, and the fight did go on.
2: Yes, did. But uh, um, well, well, with, the,
3: with the result being disclosed. But in terms of, do I know of, I do not know of a boxer who has failed a VADA test, where the result did not get disclosed to the public, and the fight went on. Because okay, frankly, but... if I find out that a fighter has failed a VADA test and I've broken several of those stories over the years, I, re- I will report it. It's not, you know, I'm not going to hide the result if I know the result. No, but I'm saying, do you suspect times where a fighter
2: has failed a, a VADA test, no one knows about it apart from the parties involved and the fight's still gone on? Do you think that's happened before?
3: I don't know that that's happened before. Uh, in this In the United States, that would be surprising to me if that had happened. In the UK, it could have happened, though, from going from this situation. Based on that, yeah, it is certainly possible. You hate to think that, but yeah. I mean, there, again, there have been times where there's been a failed test where a fight, and it's become public, and the fight has taken place. Mm. And they're, they're not all the same. They're different, different substances, different reasons, different scenarios, different things surrounding it. But there's one example that's more recent. That was at the end of 2021 when Oscar Valdez had his failed test. There's the issue of uh, you have to go back probably 10 years ago when Eric Morales had a failed test for his uh, rematch with Danny Garcia that took place in Brooklyn, New York, that that fight went forward, even though he had a failed test. Um, so it's happened. But again, you know, we don't have to get down in the weeds, but those situations had, were, were a little different than what's going on with Connor. But just for the mere fact, failed test, public has, disclo- has been disclosed to the public and fight happens. That's happened. I'm not aware of ones where there was a failed test that was not disclosed and the fight occurred. Okay, so uh, if Dan Raphael had to set a protocol for
2: uh, promoters where this situation occurred in the future, as soon as a, a positive result comes back, would you say promoters got to come out, let people know, cancelled about, let the hearing take place, and then proceed on from there? Request to be sample, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, would that be more plausible moving forward?
3: I mean, that sounds logical, doesn't it? I don't think that it doesn't have to be myself or you know, who's in charge of boxing to make a logical decision. I mean again, like I mentioned before, it's certainly fair to allow everybody that's involved directly to at least assess the situation, take a look at what's happened, ask a few questions, you know, talk to the board. I don't think it has to be public immediately. They do have uh the ability to, to just go through their process. Now, what happened what happened that made the, the situation with the Connor Ben uh positive test, it was so compressed time wise because the fight was happening. A couple of days later, I've said all along that had, again, I, as I mentioned multiple times, it's OK to take time to assess the situation, but it gets to a certain point where it's now too long and it doesn't need to take that long. That's why we know that that result came back, I believe, September 23rd or something like that. Yeah. Uh, from a test that it, you know was the sample had been given on September 1st. So the point is everybody who was involved found out that the result was positive on September 23rd. The fight wasn't taking place until October 8th. So that's two weeks, basically. So it shouldn't take until three days before the fight for it to be disclosed. And again, I have no problem if they don't disclose it in the first, you know, 24 hours, 48 hours as they figure out the situation. But it should never have taken as long as it did. If it had taken three or four days, fine. But that fight should have been postponed, called off, however you want to phrase it, well before the, the, the Wednesday slash Thursday of fight. week. That's where they ran into the problem.
2: And just a couple of more things on this. So, from the comments Connor Ben's made in The Sun and The Times, in a couple of interviews he's given, um, and also Eddie's comments to the media about possibly why this uh, drug was in Connor Ben's system, they've talked about contamination and they've also talked about um, what was the other thing they talked all, but talked about contamination and there's been two failed tests. So, do you think that's plausible? The other thing I was going to say was, small trace levels has been talked about so contamination and small trace levels so what have you made of both eddie and connor's comments
3: well first of all let's take the trace example the trace amounts uh, uh rhetoric i don't believe they know how much of this ter- this uh particular substance was in his system because the substance that he tested positive for is not a substance that if it's found in your system is allowed at any level period in other words If you don't have it in your system, good. If you have it in your system, bad. That's a failed test. As opposed to others, and I've said this so many times, I hope people understand this. There are other substances that are on the ban list, but it's allowable up to a certain threshold. So, and I've used the example of clenbuterol because that's a drug that has come up in various positive tests. That was the situation with Eric Morales that I mentioned that was years ago. That's the substance that was found in uh, Canelo Alvarez that caused his situation. Uh, prior to uh, the the rematch with Gennady Golovkin. Clembuterol is a substance that if you have it in your system, it's allowable up to a certain level. It's when it goes over that level that you have the possibility of a foul test. So since they're measuring the amount, if you're slightly over the threshold, that would be considered a trace amount. Obviously if you're far over the the threshold, it would be obviously much, much more in the case of what Connor tested for, there is no trace amount. It's either there or it's not. So whether it's a little bit, or it's a whole bunch is irrelevant. So they're using the word trace, I believe, as a way to sort of divert, you know, a, a diversion to make it seem like it's no big deal, because it was just a tiny amount. But that's a specific substance among many on the ban list, that's not allowed to be in your system at all under any circumstances. It doesn't occur naturally. It's not the kind of thing that you would find in a typically in a supplement. It's not the kind of thing that you know, again, using the Columburaal example, which people can laugh and 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 say it's it's BS and all that. It is found in in, in beef in Mexico on a regular basis. Uh, it's been a problem not just for boxers, but for the you know, Mexican national soccer team, for example. And if people want to spend five minutes researching it, they can find any 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 number of examples of that. So the the point is, the trace amounts rhetoric is complete bullshit because there is no level trace or a lot that's permissible in per in terms of this particular substance. So that right off the bat is is ridiculous. And what was the other part of that? So the other part is um,
2: Connor and Eddie have both talked about contamination. Now there's been two failed tests. So what are your thoughts on the con- contamination? So
3: contamination, contamination. At least the way I understand it is contamination would be uh, you provide the sample, which is then split immediately into two vials or two you know holders and wrapped and done properly to to, to seal it up and. One sample is the A sample, which they test immediately. The other is the B sample that goes, you know, in the freezer or the fridge or whatever to use at a later date if necessary. And they're from the exact same. So when you pee, it's just split into two vials or if you give blood, it's split into two vials. However, uh, whatever the, 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 this, the uh, whatever you gave to them, blood or urine. Contamination would occur when they crack open the A sample or there's some kind of issue. The seal gets undone. There's something gets in it. There's a mistake made chain of custody issues come into play and it tests positive for whatever. And, and, and they that something, you know, that wasn't supposed to be there, got there. And that's the purpose why the B sample exists to compare it against, to make sure you have a properly sealed one that's in the proper chain of custody, et cetera. And contamination didn't occur in that sample. So that's where that comes in. Contamination, uh, is that's that's the definition of it. I think what they're trying to say is that maybe Connor had something in his own system from a substance that he had taken that was contaminated before it got to him. Say for example, you bought an over-the-counter supplement, and that has been a common problem in uh, not just in boxing but in anybody that trains in a sport where it, it it's made in a factory and there may be a trace amount of something else that's not supposed to be there. You know, you, you buy a box of cereal. And maybe there's a thing that says, you know, this contains wheat product or nut product because people have allergies, because there could be trace amounts because it's made in the same factory, sort of the same concept when it comes to some of these substances. So contamination could happen in that, in that way, but it wouldn't really be called contamination. It's just it's, the contamination part of it is when something gets into the one sample that's not supposed to be there. That's why you use the B sample. And by the way, they have yet to crack the B sample, to my knowledge, either. So again, we all know that the, the chances of the B sample being any different than the A sample are very, very negligible. Uh, but they should at least do it just to, to find out, yay or nay, you know, they, that they still haven't done that, to my knowledge. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChapaCasino.com.
1: A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kinda like the high five, but if you wanna hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At ChumbaCasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses, so don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, We're Prohibited by Law. See terms and conditions 18+. Dan, in defense of Connor, if... He knows
2: he's got VADA testing coming up, which obviously he did. He signed up for it. And he knows that, as you said, with this drug, it's not about trace levels or small levels. If it's in you, that's guilty. That's a positive test. That's a failed test. So why would he
3: willingly have that in his system if he knew he had VADA tests coming up? That's a very, it's a great question. That's obviously something that's important to know. I mean, there's a couple of things that could be, could be a factor. One is, it could be legitimate that somebody on the team gave it to him and he didn't know it. That's, that's possible. Uh, a trainer, a nutritionist, his buddy, whoever, and he, he took it without knowing what was in it, uh, which would not be, so that would mean he wouldn't necessarily be taking it on purpose, but he would be derelict from not having uh, every single thing he places into his, into his body. That he knows what it is before he takes it. So if somebody hands you a pill or hands you a vial of something and you drink it or whatever, you know, it's up to you to make sure that you know what that is before you uh, place it in your system. Um, Again, I've discussed this before, That's strict liability, where however it got there, it's your fault. It's your problem. Nobody else's. You know, whether it's there, being there is the issue. It's not how it got there. It's just that it's there. That is, the, that is the concept of strict liability, and that's what happens in these cases. So from what you just mentioned about why would he sign a for Vata if he knew he was going to be tested and this turned up in the system. So, yes, it is certainly possible that somebody gave it to him. But if that's the case, he's yet to say, hey, uh, so-and-so gave me this, and I took it and I didn't know it, and you know, maybe you know if that's true, maybe there's somebody doesn't want to throw under the bus. I mean, uh, you know, that's certainly a possibility. The other thing is, and this is a much more nefarious situation is, And this is, it wouldn't be the first time. And I'm not saying that Connor did this. I'm just saying that anybody that would have a VADA uh, testing program that would somehow fail a test because of it, uh, because they were found to have something in their system, is these are things that people that are deep involved in this type of thing, they know that if you take a certain substance, how long it's going to stay in your system and when you can, when it's going to be out of your system, it's, it's obviously something that the experts that are trying to beat the system do all the time. So, and it happens often in drug testing, where, you know, they messed up their timing. And and, and he, he he took a substance. They thought it was going to be gone by a certain date. They were surprised by a test. And uh, they got caught. And, they, and it was still there and hadn't finished, uh, you know, finished going through the cycle. You know, they were, it hadn't finished going through his system. Uh, they mistimed it, however you want to look at it. Now, that's one of the reasons why these tests in VADA are random. I can't speak to the to the scheduling of how UCOD does it. But if you are signed up for a VADA program, Technically speaking, they can test you 24 hours a day, 365 days a year or within the period of time that you're contracted for the program. So it might be over the course of, you know, uh, 10 weeks or eight weeks or however long your program goes. Now, they're not unsympathetic to an athlete. If you're preparing for some kind of sports event, boxing or otherwise, the Nevada person is not going to come to your door generally at three o'clock in the morning and say, give me a, you know, your urine sample, let me poke you in the arm with a needle. I mean, they don't generally do that. But they may show up at your house, you know, first thing in the morning, they may come by the gym at lunchtime, they may be be at your house, you know, as the sun goes down, you know, they do uh, do tests randomly. I mean, the other thing that they do is whether in 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 the case of a boxing match, when you sign up for this program, it's not like they will test Connor 10 times, and only test Eubank three times, Mm -hmm. they generally try to make them about the same, maybe not exactly, but say Connor might be tested 10 times, and Eubank might have gotten tested nine times, and maybe Half of them, uh, you know, maybe one guy had a uh, one or two more urine tests and one guy one guy had one or two more blood tests. In other words, they try to make it an equitable distribution of how uh, and, and when they test. But certainly it's possible that they simply mistimed their attempts to cheat.
2: Last one on Connor. Uh, what did you make of his uh, decision to voluntarily uh, relinquish his British Boxing Border Control license? And do you think ultimately in this situation, if you had to make a judgment, Connor receives a ban from the board um, or UCAD about this situation?
3: Well, as far as giving up his license, uh, it's kind of like, uh, you know, I, I'm not really sure what the purpose of that was, because maybe he he gave it up as a, as a protest because he's unhappy with the way that this has been handled. But I would simply say that the fact that he gave it up is sort of irrelevant, because it seems to me that he probably was going to have that license suspended or revoked anyway, given the way this whole situation has been transpiring. So you know, I've used the analogy of, uh, you know, you're fired. No, I quit. Uh, I quit. You're fired. It's sort of like the end result is going to be the same. You're not going to have a license. So, you know, did the champion vacate the title or did the champion get stripped of the title? I mean, I've seen those things happen. It's kind of the same thing. He knew he was facing some troubles. Um, and what happens after this is anybody's guess. I, You know, he still needs to go through the hearing process. I guess there'll be some sort of situation before there's any sort of ban doled out. Uh, and if he does have some, some, uh, factual uh, information that he can present that will, you know, save him from that. He needs to present that. Uh, So far, it doesn't seem like that exists, but yeah, he's probably looking at some kind of ban. I mean, again, I know this is like a big scandal in Britain in terms of in the United States, there's been a ton of guys that have had positive drug tests and it's unfortunate. And typically what happens again, it's depends on how many times they've had positive tests, what their outlook has been, if they've been uh, forthright with the governing folks that are handling that local commission, they received some kind of suspension. It could be a six months. It could be a year, could be a little longer. It depends. Um, And so most likely Connor's looking at some kind of suspension that would probably be no less than uh, six months, but you know, could be, and a UCOD has more stricter rules. It could be a couple of years, potentially, I guess. Mm -hmm.
2: Okay. Just just away (laughs) from this. um, Yeah. Quickly uh, get your thoughts on this weekend's boxing. So, Mauricio Salipan, uh put out a very positive post about Jake Paul, where well, essentially then- he was saying we need to start <clears throat> taking Jake Paul as a serious fighter and showing him respect for that. So your thoughts on
3: that, do you agree? Absolutely, I agree. I, I'm not sitting here saying that. Uh, and I saw that, saw that tweet from Mauricio. He and I, 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 I actually texted him because we, we are in communication on a regular basis. And I told him, I agree with you. And uh, I'm glad you put that out um we see we see the j we don't see everything the same mauricio and i you know we have been, had a friendly relationship for many years but we we often disagree of whether the uh, sky is blue and the grass is green but in this particular instance uh, we are on the same page so while i don't think that Jake paul is ready to be ranked by a sanctioned body certainly not ready to fight for some kind of world title or something along those lines he does need to be shown respect because here's a, a guy that has picked up gloves two and a half years ago for the first time uh had one amateur fight and is now, what, 6-0 as a professional. And you can tell me that, yes, his opponents are not full-time professional boxers, and that's true. Anderson Silva may be 47 years old, but his knowledge of combat sports is, is expansive. He's one of the greatest in his sport of all time. He does have boxing background. He is a fighter that has beaten a former world champion in Chavez Jr. He has scored knockouts. He is a great athlete, obviously. Yes, he's older. Tell me how many guys with two and a half years of experience in the ring other than Jake Paul could get in there and handle themselves against Anderson Silva. The answer is no, and probably nobody. So he has moved very quickly relative to his background. If, if you go take a look, pick a great fighter, go look at, you know, pick anybody. Look at Connor Ben, look at Chris Eubank, take a look at greats, take a look at Floyd Mayweather Jr. Take a look at Manny Pacquiao, take a look at Canelo Alvarez. Go look at any of their records, and you tell me if they fought anybody, even in the same stratosphere. I was like about Anderson Silva in their in their sixth professional fight. The answer is no. Floyd Mayweather fought a guy in his sixth fight. My recollection was well under five hundred. Yes, that person was a boxer, but obviously not a very good boxer. Um, I'll take Anderson Silva's three and one boxing record going into the fight with Jake Paul, in terms of his ability to potentially beat a, a Logan, uh, a, um, beat a Jake Paul, as much more impressive than a guy with a big background uh that might have been an olympian like say and i'm not trying to pick on mayweather i just know that he didn't have a very good opponent in some of his early fights and to me that's more impressive so uh again i'm not saying jake paul's gonna be on anybody's pound for pound list soon but i find the massive amount of disrespect for him just mind-boggling respect the guy for doing what he's doing you know don't be a hater because he's doing something that that a lot of fighters would love to do which is make a huge amount of money uh in, in the early part of their career and taking risks. He's put himself out there. There was a good chance he was going to lose that fight. Look, I thought Anderson Silva was going to win that fight. And uh, Jake did a hell of a job. He scored the knockdown. He fought well. He's improved. I mean, if you go back and watch him in the, in, the, in the Tyron Woodley fights and compare him to how he boxed in the Anderson Silva fight, if you don't see that there's been an improvement, then you don't know what you're looking at.
2: Okay, I think that's all more than fair enough. And uh, moving over to New York, we saw Lomachenko obviously pick up another win. Devin Haney was ringside, got in the ring afterwards. It's very clear from both parties they want to fight each other next. Do you think that fight gets made next uh, by top rank?
3: Absolutely. Bob Arum, the promoter, wants to make the fight. The people at the company want to make the fight. Lomachenko wants to fight. His management wants to fight. Devin Haney and his father, Bill, they want that fight. Uh, it's a its a fight where both guys can, can uh, achieve something by fighting Uh, You know, that matchup, they can make a lot of money in that fight. I think it's a fight that the public would embrace. I think that's a fight that would sell a lot of tickets to a lot of viewers on television. It's a, it's a tremendous matchup. Uh, And the main thing is, you know, Lomachenko has made it crystal clear uh, multiple times that he's, he's willing to do what it takes. He'll bend, you know, he he doesn't, he's not asking to, to, you know, he'll take whatever, basically, you know, within reason, I suppose. Um, he'll take the short end of the money he'll give him a rematch clause he'll fight him in his wherever he wants to fight to be there's not arguments about are they gonna put his name first who's coming in the ring first you know Haney gets all the champion's privileges but Lomachenko has and this is not something that's somehow a revelation or something that's new uh but Lomachenko since the day he turned pro I can remember interviewing him literally before his professional debut which I covered him talking about how his whole goal in boxing yeah money would come and that's fine nobody's going to tell you that they don't want to make a lot of money but his goal different i think than a lot of fighters was he wanted to achieve historical things which is why he wanted to fight for a world title as soon as he could which is why he ended up setting records for the 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 fighter that fought the fewest fights before winning a world title three that tied the record before you won two titles before you won three titles he's won titles in three weight classes the one thing that's eluded him is being undisputed he was not able to do it Uh, in the featherweight division. He wasn't able to do it in the junior lightweight division. He unified titles in the, in the uh, lightweight division, but not the opportunity to fight for undisputed. And that's sort of like the last thing on the resume that he wants to achieve. He has spoken from day one about making history. This would be for him, the ultimate type of history. I remember when Bob Arum signed him, Lomachenko was shopping around to different promoters. And when he met with Arum, uh, he told him what, you know, it wasn't about the signing bonus. It wasn't about what's my minimum person going to be. It's can you get me a title fight in my pro debut? And Bob said, listen, you know, he talked talk to, to Lomachenko and his manager, Agus Plemis. He said, I can't get you a title fight in your first fight. I might be able to do it in your second fight. And they fought a real guy in their first fight. He turned pro in a 10 rounder against a reputable opponent who was not a, in any way, a bum, who was actually coming off a pretty good win. And he beat that fighter in a 10 rounder. And in the second fight, he fought for the world title against Orlando Salido. Uh, it turned out to be a very close, uh, uh, I believe a split decision loss. I was at the fight and I remember seeing Lomachenko, one of the, uh, seeing one of Salido's team members after the fight saying, thank God we got him tonight because give this guy another couple of fights. We'd have no chance. Mm-hmm. And even that fight in his second fight was super close. And uh, Salito, you know, he's an old veteran. He knows the gray areas of the sport, hit him low, like 50 times and the referee, never warned him. And, you know, again, professional boxing is different than the amateurs. And I don't think Lomachenko really knew how to deal with it. Then in his third fight, he undressed Gary Russell Jr., who was like 24-0 or something like that, also an Olympian, and he and he, and he won easily against him and became a world champion. And again, all that's left for him to do is to be undisputed. Devin Haney's holding the four belts, and they're both with the same promoter. I think absolutely, unless something crazy happens, there's no doubt in my mind that that fight will get made. Haney wants it, and, uh, and, and Lomachenko desperately wants it.
2: Well, let's hope so. We need some good news in boxing. So That's a uh, good fight, right?
3: Brilliant fight, brilliant fight, yeah. Andy Lomachenko. by that the way, run. that'll be a fight that we get that we actually want to see instead of being robbed of. No, Spence and Crawford of being. Sports social podcast network.